This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project podcast, the podcast where we get to hear from successful people who have navigated a life of uh, of success and thriving based in their faith. Today, we're talking to Eric Argerman. Eric is a youth mentor and motivational speaker who has a quite an interesting background. Starting out um, as the only African student in his school, he had quite a diverse range of experiences that weren't always following the the exemplary model path of of a, a young child at school. He's ended up though uh, coming out the other end of some very challenging circumstances. He's been the author of three best selling books, and is committed to sharing what he has learned through his passion about helping young people find their future. Some of those experiences have allowed him to become a, a wide ranging speaker to young people all over the country. Eric, it's very much my pleasure to have this opportunity to speak with you. Um, let me just get a little unpack. What's on, what's on your calendar for the next little while? What's coming up in terms of your commitments? Yeah, well, first of all, Brennan, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Uh, it's such an honor. Um, in terms of my schedule, well, I am I am heading to Brisbane tomorrow. Um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to being with the Australian Christian College uh, in Kabucha next week. So that's exciting. Yeah, that is. You're based in Melbourne, did I understand? Yeah, based in Melbourne um, and predominantly do most of our work here in Melbourne and then every now and then uh, a few times a year I get, I get the opportunity to travel as well and, and do things interstate. Well, I know the students at uh, Australian Christian College, we would call it Morton, that's the name of the, the, the school right. in Kabulchia. Yeah. Uh, they're going to have a great blessing. You'll have to stop over sometime here in Sydney. I'm speaking to you from ACC, Australian Christian College, Marson Park in Sydney. Yeah. Um, we'll have to give, get your ticket to come and have a chat with our students. That'll be um, awesome. I think I've actually spoken to a lady called Sarah the last couple of yes, weeks. Yes, I, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. She's so a year 12, stage six yeah. coordinator. She's working something out. So things are afoot. It's very promising. <laughs> well, listen, we're not going to hold it against you that you uh, you come from Melbourne. We, you know, up up here in Sydney and in Queensland, we're very suspicious of the storm and the mm. dominance that they've had in our NRL. And we're getting to know AFL footy and yeah. in terms of its uh, its appeal up this way. Is Melbourne hometown for you? Is that born and bred? Uh, so born in Ghana, raised in New Zealand, and then came to Melbourne in '97. Uh, then went back to Ghana in 2000 for what was meant to be a three-week holiday that became seven years. So I ended up coming seven back years. to Melbourne in 2007. So I've been here ever since. does feel like home, even though we were the most locked-down city in the world, but we won't go into that because yeah. that's a trigger point yeah. for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Understandably, we all felt for you guys down that way. Yeah. Hard to imagine. Mm. So you say that Melbourne sort of feels like home for you. Yeah. What are the things that that speak to you about home? What is it that makes that place? You've been in New Zealand. You've been in Ghana. Yeah. yeah. What well, me, what does home mean for you? Yeah, I guess uh, home as in I'm planted at a local church that I've been at for 
10 years now, uh, a church called Enjoy Church. Um, so that, that, that's definitely family, feels home. Um, my beautiful wife, her family, they live about 10 minutes away. Uh, so, you know, it's close enough so we can get babysitting, uh, but also yeah. not too close to have them <laughs> at arm's length. So, Dropping unexpectedly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, so my, my wife is, uh, yeah, feels, uh, her tank, you know, is filled when she has the presence of her family near and close. And so that's important, mm. uh, important to us. And so, yeah, I think those are probably the two main reasons. And I mean, I guess it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful city, you know? Um, mm. yeah. It is a lovely place and um, a very cultured sort of city. Mm. Tell me about um, how old were you when you when you moved from Ghana? What was the the age? Were you aware of a dramatic yeah. change in your environment, your setting? Yeah, absolutely. So I was five when um, my my dad uh, very courageously moved us over to New Zealand. Um, the only thing I would say about that, though, is if you've watched the movie Cool Runnings, you know, when they moved from Jamaica to the Olympics and they're really cold. Yeah, I had that experience too. Uh, Ghana is tropical, <laughs> no winter, only summer and rainy season. And then here I find myself in New Zealand. So, uh, yeah, South Island, Dunedin. So that was a bit of a culture shock, weather shock. <laughs> uh, my first day of school, I couldn't actually speak English because I'd, I'd never had proper education in Ghana. And so... Couldn't speak it, couldn't understand it, and uh, felt, yeah, felt very, um, I guess my low self-esteem started at that age because I mm. felt like I wasn't like everyone else. Mm. Uh, I was also the only African at, also at that time uh, mm. from at least my year level. I'm pretty sure it was the whole mm. school, but, yeah, my year level at least. And so, yeah, that sort of, you know, set me on a, on a journey of, of ups and downs and, you know, identity, all that sort of stuff. So five-year-old... Eric finds himself in Dunedin, New Zealand. Yeah. Not comfortable in the physical environment, not comfortable in the social environment. Mm. How did you navigate your way through that? Yeah, well, I think uh, I was very, uh, very close to my parents. So I think home life was was a very positive one. Um, and I think at that age as well, there is a little bit of innocence uh, in you as a child where you just go along with things. Mm. Um and then I also had a, I had a really close friend. Um, that was until I went to his house and his dog chased me. And uh, <laughs> having come from Ghana with no pets, uh, that was that was a big, um, yeah, <laughs> fearful moment. Um, yeah. Did, did the friendship survive, Eric? Did the friendship? It actually did. We actually reconnected uh, last month after about fifteen or so years. <laughs> so that that was really cool. Well, I know part of your story is is that school wasn't necessarily an easy place for you to to find a sense of identity and, and connections. Mm. From that start of of uh, must have been at kindergarten, I think age five. When did things begin to to not follow the script, not go to the the typical plan of what school was supposed to be like and what sort of things you were you were going to be learning. Yeah, well, I, I think my first day in New Zealand um, at, at, at that school, you know, I, I did see some boys who were who were laughing at me, um, but because obviously I couldn't understand English, I didn't know what they were laughing about. All I could assume is that maybe it's because I'm different because I was the only African. Um, so yeah. that was sort of the, the beginning. And then I came to Australia, Melbourne in 97. Um, that was probably where it really uh, was deepened, um, where the hurt and the pain, I could really feel it. 
because now I could understand English and I could I could speak it as well. And so on my first day at mm. school to be called the N-word, uh, to have my mm. color compared to an animal, my nose, my shape of my nose, all of those things. Um, and on top of that, to have other kids around to hear it and to laugh really um, was just, yeah, painful experience. And so... Uh, at the age of 10, you tend to believe a lot of things that you hear, you know, you, mm. you, know that you don't have that critical thinking aspect of you to dissect every word and every phrase. Is that right? Is that mm. you just sort of go mm. along with it? And that's what I did. And so I believe mm. things like I'm inferior because of the color of my skin. I believe the words that those kids uh, did say to me and, and how they teased me. So, yeah, that that was really the low point. And then I think towards the end of primary school, those thoughts then were expressed through my behavior. And what I mean by that is mm. I went to high school with no aspiration, no vision. I just, mm. and that's why I ended up in a gang because mentally mm. in my subconscious mind, the words of that boy were still echoing. And they were the mm. words, you would never achieve anything. You're inferior. Mm. You're not good enough. So all of those words, you know, when it came to academics, I didn't want to try because I already had a visual of the future and it wasn't a positive one because of what I had heard. Mm. So that was a little bit, yeah, of that, of that journey through, through school. And You're talking about some very traumatic experiences for a young person to be facing, Eric, that really challenged the very notion of your identity and, mm. and you're describing how your identity was fundamentally formed because of those things that were being said about you and the environment in which you found yourself. Mm. Where did you go to help? Where did you look to to find un unentangling all of those sorts of feelings and thoughts? Yeah. Did you have anybody that you could talk to? <laughs> well, at the start I, I had my dad and he was really, really encouraging. Um, but I think as a teenager you get to a point where you stop telling dad stuff, you stop telling mum and dad yeah. stuff and you try and find it elsewhere, whether it's the internet or, you know, other peers that may not be positive. Um, yeah. So at the start, initially it, it was through my parents. Um, but just on that power of words, you know, the Bible says that hey, heavens and earth were created by the power of, of God's word, you know, Amen. even at, when God got ready to form Adam, he said, let us create man in our image mm. and our likeness. Like Adam was mm. formed from power of words um, you look at Eve and her identity in the garden, that was changed because of the words of a snake. And so all throughout scripture, we recognize that words play a powerful part in the formation or the shaping of anything, whether it's heaven and earth, whether it's Adam. And I think it still plays a powerful part today in mm. the lives of many people, especially young people, when they're hearing words, it really has the power to influence them. And so I was, I guess, entangled um, where I was but untangled was actually the trip to Ghana uh, which was meant to be a three-week holiday but became a seven-year uh, pretty challenging journey and it was it was actually going to church uh, where I gave my life to God and I, I got sent away to a prayer camp and at this prayer camp you know they would uh, pray in three hour blocks um, they would eat one meal a day 5 30 p.m um, every night and then in between, all they did was they just memorized, memorized scripture. And so 
Upon entrance at this place, I probably knew maybe John 3.16. <laughs> I came out and I have, I've got seven exercise books front to back with, with verses and scriptures. And so it was during this time that I began to rewire my, my mindset. You know, the Bible says, mm. don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed mm. by the renewing of your mind through the word of God. And that's how I became untangled. In fact, just really quickly, the Bible they gave me when I entered the prayer camp was a King James Bible. My son today, he's five, five and a half now. His name is Kingston James, which is inspired from the Bible. Not only that, but we also run a ministry called the Royal Hood, uh, which is a mentoring program uh, to disciple young people. And that Royal Hood name comes from one of the verses that I memorized in 2005. And that was 1 Peter 2 verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy yeah. nation. So that not only untangled me, but gave me purpose and yeah. in, in which I'm what, what I'm living right now in my life. Yeah. What a great story. Was your family a family of faith before you went to Ghana? Was they were, was yeah. You? Yeah, absolutely. Every single Sunday, my parents would would uh I would call it drag me to church because mm. I didn't have that personal revelation yet. Um, mm. But yeah, that we were Baptists, so they they did that. So, you, you, at what age did you head back to Ghana? How old you? You started so, school. You'd been off in in high school. Yes, yeah, so, so I did two years at Ringwood Secondary College here in Melbourne, um, ninety nine in two thousand, and so I think it was about May two thousand, um, almost halfway through year eight, where my dad said to go back for a holiday and with a one way ticket, but I wasn't smart enough to know, and uh, <laughs> voila. Seven years. <laughs> so the, that one-way ticket—that's pretty dramatic. That was—was was that sort of like your dad doing an intervention? Is it a case yeah. of? Yeah, I, I, I love I, my it, boy. Mm-hmm. I can see he's in trouble. I've got to break this. Absolutely. So he knew he knew what he was doing all along. But you know, fourteen-year-old me just thought, "Oh, my dad just wants me to go and start my fourth suspension on a holiday in Ghana mm-hmm. with spending money." I was like. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll go. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to wind back, Eric, if you can, because that's a, a wonderful story of of uh, coming into the light or coming into the truth after obviously part of your life where you were living with with um, misconceptions of yourself, misconceptions about the people around you, mm. probably a misconception of God mm. at that point in your life. And as I was reading your story, I was thinking about how the the alienation that you must have felt in your young schooling, where yeah. you were the only one, and you were the one who was was teased and picked on and ostracized, and made it very clear you didn't belong mm-hmm. in whatever was going on and whatever culture was. And how did you find yourself from that? Being a loner at school, being on the out, how did you find yourself in those youth gangs of your early teen years? Yeah, so I think, you know, in every human, uh, there is an element of us that wants to belong, you know, and sometimes that need to belong comes at a cost. Uh, For me, that was certainly the case. Um, Part of joining the the gang was obviously I wanted to fit in. But also I wanted to avoid being bullied because I carried a lot of yeah. hurt from primary school. I didn't want to have to go through that again in high school, you know. Mm. And what I've realized um, is being in a group where you don't fit in and you try to fit in, my goodness, it 
it does more harm than good. <laughs> mm. um, and in fact, this morning I was at a school sharing about this mm. as a, a kid asked a question. And so now having grown up, I'm, I love being by myself. <laughs> we could call it solitude. Right? I love being by myself. Um, but at a young age when there's no identity, it's all about how many people can I surround myself with? So I look yeah. popular. It's all about yeah. today's day and age, social media likes and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yet they still live very lonely, um, even though they're surrounded by heaps of people because they lack that identity, that God identity yeah. in their yeah. lives, in my life. Yeah, and that, that is so true, isn't it, Eric? I, I know exactly what you're saying is that the the fear of being made alone by mm. the the the, uh, the actions of others, where mm. it's, it's not something that you seek. In fact, you seek the opposite. You seek connection yeah. and relationship and mm. you are – you uh, you have loneliness forced on you by the actions of others. Mm. The tendency then to say, well, I will, I will belong for a whole bunch of reasons so yeah. that I feel safe Yeah, because I'm part of something that is strong and tough and nobody's mm. going to come and pick on me when I'm part of this group. Mm. And and I feel like I've got people that that I connect with and there's a safety in that. There's a, a sense of yeah. Almost false security. Is that how you felt being yeah, in exactly the brotherhood it. or whatever was the name of the yeah the situation? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly it. Yeah. And so your dad sees this, realizes that you know you've got you've lost interest in school, four <laughs> yeah. suspensions, I think, in two years. Yeah. Um, and realizes something needs to change. Mm. Sends you to Ghana. What was the purpose? Was it you, you said a, a three-week holiday? He must have had a notion that what did you do for school? Back to school in Ghana? Yeah, yeah. I, I went back to school after I think uh was it three weeks? Yeah, I started school, boarding school. Uh that was that was a shock. Um uh, where because back then they still used to discipline you with a cane physic physically. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Where, so you have your hand like that or like that, or you get it on your back. Um, yeah. So I went from here to um, and obviously I was, a, I was, I, I felt like I was targeted a little bit as well. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that was pretty horrible, but I ended up finishing high school in Ghana in 2005. So my VC equivalent. And the, yeah. The, the prayer thing that you went on that camp mm. that changed your, your whole perspective of yourself and of life. At what stage did that happen in your, your Ghana experience? Was that early on? Yes. Towards the end of school? Yeah, that was towards the end of school, um, halfway through school. So I got saved. Uh, so attempted suicide in 2002. And then it was six weeks after that that I was saved. And so it would have been roughly about another six to 12 weeks after that, um, that I'd go to this church where they would send me away to this prayer camp, uh, where all of that so, took so place. Well, without wanting to pry too much, the six weeks before you're going on this prayer camp, you're at the, the bottom. You're at the yeah, the the lowest point you could possibly get to. Yeah. So going to Ghana wasn't a solution in itself. It wasn't the the miraculous transition to something. It was still tough and it was still yeah. dark and the load was mm. still heavy. Absolutely. To that point. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have other people to talk with in, in Ghana during those years, or was it still a um, sense of I'm doing this alone. Yeah, it definitely felt like that because, as I mentioned, I didn't go to school in Ghana and so I couldn't speak English my first day. But now that I've come back to Ghana, I can speak English fluently, 
But my mother's side, mm. only one of them went to school, which is my older brother. All my other half siblings didn't go to school, including my mum. So now trying to like communicate, it felt mm. <laughs> it, it wasn't again. It, it wasn't connecting. Um, and then at the mm. boarding school, obviously having come from abroad, they call it. Um, it, it, it just I felt out of place again, you know. So there was definitely over uh, like an extension of that same thing that was happening here in a different way mm-hmm. over there as well. And now you're so far away from your family, from your mom, yeah. from your dad. Yeah. And no hope. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I felt hopeless. And, and that's where one of the words that that, that kid <clears throat> had said to me in 1907 came back to my mind. You know, you're never going to achieve anything. And part of the, the, the yeah. thought process to me on, you know, in my head was, well, why, why, why be here if I'm not going to do anything, achieve anything, be anything, yeah. you know, um, yeah. which is a life from the pit of hell. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That, that's um, very confronting to, to hear that and to try and imagine what it must have been like for you, Eric, in, in that context to be so mm. far from home, anybody who really felt knew you, somebody, yeah. anybody who really saw you and your situation to become so desperate. Mm. Can I, I ask you again, this is with all, with all measure of respect in that space, the notion of things that happen around you, things that happen to you and the response that you have, is there, is there a measure of, of, uh, balance about what you own as decisions that you made, things that you chose to believe versus the circumstances you found yourself in? Have you, have you wrestled with some of that tension? Um, I think the way I've sort of interpreted things is, uh, I mean, number one, I had a lot of anger towards my dad. I felt like he lied to me. I felt he betrayed me and put me in that situation. Then later I realized, yeah. you know, Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good to them that love God and accord according to his purpose. And though it was my dad who sent me to Ghana, really, that was God's plan. And when you yeah. look at, when you look at things from that perspective, you don't put a blame on a certain human being, but rather you actually mm. give thanks to God for allowing you to go mm. through the valley of the shadow of death. So you can yeah. come out and give him praise and know that he exists, know that he is yeah. 110% real. And so for me, um, that, that's, that's how I live my life. I'm very, yeah. it's very hard to offend me <laughs> simply because, you know, in the Lord's prayer, it says, forgive us as we have forgiven yeah. past tense, forgiven those who have hurt us. And so I live my life by a simple, you know, mantra of that the wound may not be my fault, but the healing is my responsibility. Oh, that's and beautiful. I won't, that's I won't wait around for people to come and apologize or explain themselves. No, I forgive them, release them, and I just praise God. And I take the L, I take the lesson, not the loss, but the lesson from that experience, yeah. and I march forward. And so that whole experience, um, I've got a book right here next to me called Let There Be Darkness. I wrote that book out of that experience, yeah. you know, um, and everything that I'm doing to help young people today is really has really come out of out of that space. And so I'm so grateful to my dad. I love my dad. I love what he did and how mm. he played a part in God's plan for my life. I want to come back and explore what it is that you're doing, how you're how you're spending your life now helping other people. But 
the change that you're describing, Eric, is just such an incredibly dramatic 180 from, mm. from somebody who felt betrayed, alone, hopeless to the, the perspective that you're describing the, that is now. And, and again, I don't know whether you can put this into words or something, but it it feels there must have been something more that happened than just you changed your mind and then you just, you know, picked yourself up by the bootstraps and <laughs> got on with things. That What happened? What happened to change that Eric who was lost and broken to this Eric that could look back with such clarity and such confidence mm. Yeah. It's, Can you explain that? Oh, it's hard to explain because it's God. <laughs> yeah. It's a supernatural. It's it's the power of prayer. It's it's the power of devotion to scripture and mm-hmm. actually living out the scripture that the scriptures that we read. I mean, look, mm. we, we read about forgiveness, but to practice forgiveness, that's where the power lies. You know? Mm. Um, and so that's sort of been the thing for me. You know, like for example, just recently, uh, I think in December, I read a scripture, Proverbs uh, 30, verse 11. It says that there is a generation that dishonors their fathers and um, and makes fun of their mothers. And and I did a bit of research and then I found out in Exodus, it said that for uh, sons who disobey their fathers and disrespect them, they shall be put to death. And I was like, oh, that's that's harsh. I did a little bit more, yeah, did a little more digging. And then I compared it to today's day and age and some of the youth that I work with and just that relationship between teens and their parents sometimes mm-hmm. can be so dishonoring. Their teens can be so dis- – and so it's like I've read it, great. I can just get up, get on with my day and go about – but no, 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 no. We're not, we're not doing that. We're going to bring this into the messages that we – the programs that we run. We're going to put in mm-hmm. – what are some practical ways that our teenagers can honor their parents? What does that look like mm. through their words, through their actions, you know? And and that's that practical element of applying scripture. That's where the that's where the supernatural happens. And for me, mm. that's sort of been the only way I can explain is that I read the word; it comes alive, and I try my best. I'm not perfect, but I try my best to apply it because I know that's where transformation happens. I can see that transformation, Eric. There is, there is the evidence, the overflowing. You know, the the scripture talks about living water will flow mm. up out of the, your innermost being. Yeah. And without, um, without trying to be um, presumptuous, I sense that. I yeah. sense that there has been a spring created in you of this new life, this new supernatural life that washed over everything in your yeah. life, washed over everything in your mind mm. and and is flowing out to the people that you want to speak to. Yeah. So let me ask you this. You you've you find yourself this incredible experience over in Ghana. You're at this prayer camp. A supernatural transformation for you as to mm. who you are and how you see the world, how you understand everything. Did you at that stage imagine that you were going to be a motivational speaker and an author and marching around the country, <laughs> inspiring and helping other young kids? No, but I was prophesied upon in Ghana uh, uh, by by uh, someone that I, I didn't know and they called me up and they told me some stuff I had done previously and then they said, but in the years to come, God's going to use you. Wow. 
And I mean, this was my pretty much my first exposure to this sort of stuff. Um, mm. And I remember he said that I'd have a dream. Well, within two weeks, I'd walk into a room with people crying. I'd have the Bible in my hand and I'll open to the pages of Isaiah. I believe it's 60 or 61. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach. He has sent me to open the eyes of the blind and to declare an open of those who are behind prison doors. He said, when you read that, you'll close it. And after you've closed it, the people that were crying will start rejoicing. And he says to me, in that dream, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And when you wake mm-hmm. up, that's the day that God will begin to use you in ministry. And in the years to come, God will take you to different places around the world and you'll bring light and hope wherever you go. I'll never forget that day. Mm. Ten days after that, Thursday after morning church service, I had the exact same dream. Walked in the room with a Bible in my hand, preached out of that. Spirit of the, of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to declare an opening of the prison doors to those that are captive and to open the eyes Amen. of those that are blind. I close it and people were rejoicing. And that morning I wake up and it's, so I, 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 had, I, I knew that it was around preaching God's word, <laughs> the word of life, mm. but nothing else, mm. you know, the books or anything, or even motivational speaking in schools because I didn't finish school here. I had no yeah. idea. It was a it was a chaplain friend who invited me in 2010 to come speak at a chapel that yeah. I realized, oh, this is something people do. <laughs> and so for the last 10 years, I've been um, once a month, I speak at our church, one of our church locations, um, and then also obviously in schools and and now um, through you know God's grace and faith, we've wrote some books, wrote some programs and just uh, step by step, just walking out what we, yeah, feel God is leading us to. So you, you mentioned the ministry that you're involved in a little bit earlier. Mm. I can't remember the name of what it was you described, but unpack for us a little bit what you're involved in. Yeah, so my wife and I uh, run a, a um, non-for-profit organisation called The Royal Hood. And so the Royal Hood, the, that's right. The Royal Hood, yeah. So for me, the biggest um, turning point was that verse, uh, Chosen Generation Royal Priest of 1 Peter 2 verse 9. That was the beginning of the transformation of my identity that I am royal that we are royalty you know um mm. and so it, it, I say this then everywhere I go in every boy there is a king in every girl there is a queen we, we are royalty mm. and so the whole idea was really to journey with young people in a discipleship format um and really in a world that is noisy in a world that is uh, faced with identity confusion uh to really mm. um re-emphasize their worth and value and identity in God. And so that's where it started. Mm. And now it's become uh, a ministry with four different arms. So we run a 10-week boys to noble men uh, mentorship program, uh, which is really amazing. Um, we run a girls, teen girls camp as well that my wife heads up. We run a pre-teens resilience day during school holidays. And then uh, this year, so excited, we're launching our very first father and son rites of passage uh, camp as well this year, which is, yeah, I'm excited for. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that does sound like you you got a lot on and, and, and um, it's going to keep you busy. Yes, <laughs> I'm very busy. <laughs> so let me ask you another associated question. We've been, one of the themes that's been running through our conversation, Eric, has been the idea of finding a sense of belonging, mm. finding who you are in mm. that 
in that sense. And we talked about new coming to coming new to New Zealand, not fitting at school, seeking inclusion in some negative social mm. settings, gangs, etc. Feeling alone back in Ghana, coming into this incredible relationship with Jesus in this in this very special way, and now your your job is to go around and and to visit communities of people you don't know. You, mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of understanding. Where do you find belonging in in your current <laughs> sense? That's a great question. I walk around with the mindset that I belong to the kingdom of God. Amen. I belong to the kingdom of God. And really what I'm trying to do is get more people to join the kingdom of God. <laughs> so I, I have this, um, you know, obviously going into a room of people you haven't met, there's obviously nerves, there's all of that sort of stuff, a bit of fear, this and that. Uh, but I'll never forget reading one day about Joshua where God says, wheresoever the soles of your feet shall step on, I, the Lord, will give it to you. Mm. And that I realized, you know, this land that we're all on, whether you own your own home when you own the, you bought the land yourself, it's it's God at the end of the day. <laughs> and mm. so where, wherever I go, I just have that perspective that you know that's God right. has assigned me here. I belong. I belong there. And and that, that's that's another thing about that whole you are chosen generation, right? Because yeah. I grew up feeling a lot of rejection. Yeah. I now wholeheartedly walk around knowing I'm chosen by God. What is mere yeah. meant that they can reject me in this or that? At the end of the day, it's God who's chosen me. That's the greatest, yeah. greatest form of choosing that I'll ever receive, you know? And and that that makes me happy. That makes me joyful. That makes me what David would say, Godfidence wherever I go, yeah, you yeah. know? <laughs> That's good. Not confidence, Godfidence. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I like that. So, so what I what I think I'm hearing, Eric, is this idea of you. You now have an identity that doesn't depend on your social connections or your social setting. Your identity, who you are, mm. where you gain your sense of meaning and purpose, mm. comes from an unbroken connection yeah. with God, and you carry that sense mm. of belonging mm. wherever He is. You belong mm. wherever He takes mm. you. That's your place in that moment. Is that sort of a paraphrase? You've of put it so well that I'm not even going to add a single word to it. That is spot on. Yeah, it's a great place to be. Mm. Can I ask you this? Is maybe a complicated question. Does it mean that all your problems have disappeared? Absolutely not. <laughs> in fact, in fact, you know, I often joke about this with my wife, you know, just pre pre-preparing yourself mentally for things, right? So the Bible says God will not give you more than what you can handle. But if mm. you're someone that's called to greatness, you're going to go through a lot of stuff. Yeah. So if you're going through the stuff, just tell yourself, this is just because God has greatness on my life. Yeah. And when those things come, it's 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 all about the, the voices and, and how you respond to it. You know, when the enemy spoke to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, then do this, do that. It's mm. all about, situations all they do is test your character test your identity mm. but when your identity is in god and the word mm. when the situation speaks to you you speak back at it right mm. that's cool you know yeah that's we, good we, isn't it? You, you, sorry finish i know you go you go you, you mentioned earlier reference romans 8 28 mm. a little while back all things that's work right. together for good that's right and the the extension of that the passage of the verses around it 
they talk about, you know, for nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And it goes on a list of some pretty horrible things that can yeah. happen to you. Yeah. You know, some some genuine yeah. opposition and some genuine tragedy that can come yeah. into your life. Mm. And it doesn't invalidate the assumption earlier, right? Mm. Even these things mm. will work together for good. Absolutely. When you are sealed, mm. taken, yeah. sold out to God. Yeah. It, Absolutely. It is how you make sense of that. Absolutely. And I think if we look at the Jesus model, I mean, he was spat on, he was punched, yeah. he was called a demon. Like, think about that, a demon. Yeah. This guy was the son of God, you know, yeah. um, a, you know, crown of thorns crushed upon his head, lashes. I mean, that that's that's not that's nothing nice. <laughs> mm. And that's the journey that he went through for us. And so every mm. time I'm going through, um, no matter how hard it is, I... I, I, I look at that. I bring that into perspective that this is what he went through for me, mm. you know, and it just gives me great confidence that I can also walk through what I'm going through. Um, the Bible mm. says that he knows he's been tested with every test there is and he knows us. Um, he mm. feels for us. And so I can take mm. great comfort in that. Um, yeah. I know there's a lot that you obviously lead people through when you give a presentation and you you talk about, how how an individual might be able to make sense of the circumstances they're at. But if you if there was one bit of advice that you wanted to leave with a a young per, a young person who was sort of trying to figure out who am I, where do I belong, what my next step, what would be the the thing you'd want them to remember or, or to think about in that moment? I would say that first of all that they are a child of God created in the mm. image and the likeness of God. The image and the likeness of God means there is no negativity. There's no mistake anywhere about them. Mm. And as a result of that, they have a purpose here on earth. Mm. And the first step to, to finding out that purpose and all of that is greatest than he, that we have available to us. You know, John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and it dwelt amongst us. This Amen. living, breathing thing right here in my hand, the Bible, it's Jesus. And the more I draw closer to Him, the more I become like that image that He created me to yeah. be in. Yeah. In a so generation good. that is about selfies and self yeah. and self-image, the more I draw closer to Him, and his image, the more the comparison, the negativity, all those things seem so far away. And the more I have contentment and, and joy. And it's beautiful. When you were sharing some of your early story, Eric, the little childish rhyme, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me, came to my mind as being such a false <laughs> assertion. That, that is not true. Words do have power. They do mm. have impact. Mm. And, and what I'm thinking is, we as we come to the end of our conversation, and you you reflected earlier about how the words spoken by broken, damaged, selfish peers, eight, nine, ten, eleven years of age, and how those words spoken over you mm. exercise some power. How much better it is. For the word, the eternal word, to speak mm. over you. Yeah. Speak about who you are. 
yeah. not be defined by your peers or mm. your culture or your school or mm. your gang. Mm. Who does Christ declare you to be? Yeah. And the, that word mm. form who you are, your, mm. your identity. Yeah. Um, you'd agree with that sort of summary? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Words, words can hurt. The Bible says life and death is in the power of, of the tongue. Words can yeah. hurt, words can kill, but words can also heal. And it's the living mm. words of Jesus that heals us. Mm. Yeah. Eric, I'm so glad that God spoke over your life. I'm mm. so glad that in that prayer camp over in Ghana, the word of the eternal word spoke into your mm. heart and gave yeah. you a new identity and a new commission and set you on a path of, of a, a destiny. That was reflecting who he's called you to be. And yeah. I'm so glad that you continue to do that, that you're speaking words of hope and life and, and inspiration mm. over young people. Thank you for sharing your words with us today and know that we'll be praying for your ministry wherever it is. I know those uh, those kids at Australian Christian College, Morton in Kabulcha, will have a real blessed experience. Thank you for your time today, Eric. Thank you, Brendan. Really appreciate you and, and your team. And yeah, really, really appreciate this opportunity. So thank you so much.